Reading the Bible in a devotional manner has probably been one of the most amazing things that I've ever done in my personal spiritual life. As I read through the Old Testament, I'm continually reminded that the heart of man is deceitfully wicked above all things. And then when I read through the New Testament, the overriding message I get is the most important thing that anybody can do is to love God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Now, how do we get from the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things to loving God and loving your neighbor? The truth of the matter is, it's impossible unless there's a personal internal transformation of your heart, of your spirit. And that is the story of the Bible. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to another episode of Coffee, the Bible and Page. I'm Page, your caffeine-imbued host. Here's my coffee. Ah, in the beginning, coffee and low. It was very good, and it was, and it is. Today, we continue our journey into 2 Samuel. We're in chapter 5. And today, David is crowned king of all Israel, uh, not just Judah. Israel comes to him and recognizes him as king, and he is now, after this chapter, king of all of the descendants of Jacob and Abraham that are in the promised land. David is the king, and there is, for a time, a united kingdom. Now, one thing that uh, uh, I always wondered, why the hard time between Judah and the rest of Israel? which would later become known as Northern Kingdom and Southern Kingdom. And it began here because Judah recognized him as king a couple years before the rest of Israel did. And I think that there was a sense of superiority and or jealousy between the two groups. I don't, I'm not sure. But later on, the kingdom would divide along those lines, Judah and Israel, the Northern Kingdom and the Southern Kingdom. But for right now, they're all united. So let's get started. All the tribes of Israel came to David at Hebron and said, we are your own flesh and blood. Now, this is cool. Believe it or not, there's a, uh, I got something out of this right away. There's a kinship with David that Israel felt that they didn't feel with Saul, apparently. that's it, This is me thinking with my mouth open because that's what I do here. I get the feeling that they didn't feel that Saul was one of them. I'm not sure. Well, he was because he's from Benjamin, but, you know, they asked for a king, they got a king. But in David, they have a ruler. There's a difference here. Um, there's a par- sense of partnership between Israel and David. It's like they have a part in this process of bringing him about as their ruler, as their king. Uh, David had been tested before their eyes. They saw him slay the giant Goliath when he was a a young lad. They saw him as a general, one of Saul's best generals. Um, And they saw him, how he cared for Judah while during the time he, quote unquote, worked for the Philistines. All right, they continue on and go on to say, in the past, while Saul was king over us, you were the one who led Israel on their military campaigns. And the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become their ruler. 
All right. This is... I don't want to turn this into a uh, little dissertation on leadership, but Saul was a ruler. He was king. Nobody disputed that. David was a leader. Now, what's the difference between a ruler and a leader? Well, here's one aspect of it. A ruler has authority and uses authority. That's not leading. That's just using your authority as a leader. You tell people what to do, they do it. But a leader, well, leadership, the very definition of that word should tell you something. You lead people forward. You're at the front. You're leading. People follow. People follow a leader. They obey a ruler. He has the authority to say, do this, do that, and they do it. But a leader leads and they follow. Does that make sense? Saul, in my opinion, was a ruler. Now, David was a ruler also, yes, but he was primarily a leader. And he, the people identified with him because of that in a way that they did not identify with Saul. Now, also, he's called in this thing in there, say, um, in what they said, the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel. Now, that's interesting. Uh, there's a whole raft of studies we could do about what a shepherd does, especially what a shepherd in the Middle East was like, and what their job description was and how they acted as a shepherd. They identified the people of Israel identified David as a shepherd. It says, you're going to shepherd my people. Now that, right away, that tells you something that's different between David and Saul. It hints at an involvement with the people of Israel from David that Saul never had. Think about all the things a shepherd does. He protects, he takes them out to, to feed them, uh, water them, he, he uh, cares for them. He is very much involved with their flock, a shepherd is, right? And they're telling David, you're going to shepherd my people. You're not just not going to sit up on the throne and tell them, do this, do that. You're going to be involved with your people. There's a relationship here that Saul never had with the people. The uh, picture of a shepherd involves uh, gentleness, watchfulness, concern. It's a shepherd's task to feed to lead and heed his flock. That's important. A shepherd pays attention to his flock. Uh, the flock will tell him things. When he sees how they're behaving, if a wolf is near or a lion's near, he pays attention to what his flock is seeing and feeling. It's This is a, a good picture. And, of course, David, the great shepherd king, from his lineage would come the greatest shepherd king, Jesus. In fact, Jesus himself was introduced frequently as the good shepherd, the great shepherd, the chief shepherd. But the picture of the shepherd king is David. Now, David is also called a ruler, that's true. A title that, pro that provided a convenient transition between judgeship and kingship. This is, a, this is another important thing here. Um, up until the time of the monarchy in Israel, judges ruled the land. 
Now, they didn't really rule in the sense that a king would. It's my impression that a judge dealt with the immediate, whatever the immediate issue was. Were the Philistines coming? Well, let's gather some folks up and go find them. Um, were there prophetic words need to be delivered? Were there uh, legal decisions that have to be rendered? Um, whatever the immediate need, the judge was there to meet that need. But a ruler is looking forward. He He's involved with this. There's a sense of governance where the decisions he makes is not only based on what the immediate need is, but what he foresees coming. So he prepares. A ruler is looking forward. A ruler is caring for his people and leading his people in such a way that he assures their future. A judge deals with whatever the situation is. He puts out fires, if you will. Um, plus the fact these people, the Israel, they came to him. He didn't go to them. It, that shows that they recognized his authority and his place as king. They came to him. He didn't go to them. He didn't go to them asking for their blessing to be king. They came to him and said, you're king, period. That's They were bowing to his leadership. Um, their need for him was greater than his need for them. Um, that's, there's a lot of, we could pull out of this stuff. I mean, we could do a, probably a whole slew of lessons on the, the leadership of David and what being a leader and what being a shepherd was. But just know this, that David was a different animal than Saul. David really was concerned for the nation. Let's keep on going. When all the elders of Israel come to David at Hebron, the king made a covenant with them in Hebron before the Lord, and they anointed David king over Israel. All right, we're back to this covenant thing again. The covenant should not be seen as Israel bestowing on David the role of all-powerful sovereign and uh, dooming the Israelites to being his vassals. It isn't that. It is, a covenant is a two-person agreement where both people have responsibilities. Do you remember the uh, the story where uh, I believe it was Abraham was making a covenant with God. Oh, I can't remember now. So I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share that because I don't want to misquote myself. But a covenant involves the agreement of two sides. There is a covenant ceremony, which we read about in the Old Testament, where uh, you take a, a couple animals, sacrifice them, split them in two, put half on this side of the path, half on this side of the path, the other side of the path. And then you two would walk together through those sacrificed animals holding hands, in essence saying whatever the agreement's about, whether you're buying land or whatever, you're saying, should either of us break this covenant, may it be done unto us what's been done unto these animals. It, I mean, it's a, it's a binding covenant with huge, huge repercussions. A covenant is a two-person thing. Marriage is a perfect idea of a covenant. They, in, in our culture today, a man and wife will hold hands in front of a pastor or a minister of some kind, and they swear their allegiance and their love to each other, and uh, they both have something to bring to the agreement. Well, a covenant was made between king, the king, David, and Israel. 
I don't know what the, the specifics of that covenant were, but it's a two-party covenant. David is to be actively involved in the governance and establishment of the people of Israel. Israel is to be actively involved in the support of and in the involvement with David. The Israelites referred to him, the elders referred to him as their shepherd. So I'm thinking there's their covenant would be would have reflected that thought making David much more than just an authoritarian, but a ruler completely involved, a leader completely involved with his people, like a shepherd is with their flock. Um, what's also interesting is that this covenant didn't end the sense of separate identity or separation felt between Judah and Israel. Judah recognized David as king two years before it happened before Israel came along and and joined them there's a there is a split a divide between the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom which will be expressed after the death of Solomon but this covenant apparently did not overcome that we're going to see as we go down the road that there will be a difference between Israel and Judah now um Let's continue on reading here. I could go on and on and on about this stuff. David was 30 years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years, six months, and in Jerusalem, he reigned over all of Israel and Judah 33 years. So he was king in Judah for seven years and seven and a half years before Israel came on board. The king and his men marched to Jerusalem. Now, this is interesting. I didn't realize this. He marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. Now the Jebusites said to David, you're not going to get in here. Even the blind and lame can ward you off. They thought, David can't get in here. Nevertheless, David captured the fortress of Zion, which is a city of David. Now on that day, David had said, anyone who conquers the Jebusites will have to use the water shaft to reach those lame and blind who are David's enemies. That's why they say the blind and lame won't enter the place. Well, there's trash talk going on between the Jebusites and David, back and forth. David then took up residence in the fortress and called it the city of David. He made that his primary capital. He built up the area around it from the terraces onward, and he became more and more powerful because the Lord God Almighty was with him. All right. Well, Jerusalem is a interesting this is a, a fascinating part i didn't realize that even though jerusalem was well within the territory of the promised land that was conquered by israel they managed to maintain a separateness that they, they were not fully conquered by the benjamites they were not fully conquered by israel they were still an independent city state if you will and david had to conquer Jerusalem. Now, because of that, Jerusalem had a sense of being neutral, not belonging to anybody, because even though they were within the country, within the land of Israel, within the promised land, they were never fully conquered until this moment. So Jerusalem had a sense of neutrality, not belonging to anybody, which would make it a great city for David to name his capital. It's a city that did not owe its allegiance to Benjamin, to Israel, to Judah. 
it kind of stood alone. So it makes it's like a, a neutral city, which makes it a great place politically to be his capital. He's not having to bend his knee to any tribe to host his city. Now, um, it was also fairly impregnable, meaning it was it was very hard to defeat in battle. Uh, it had wall. It was it was it was a wonderful location for lots of reasons, and it would become known as the city of David, which I thought was pretty cool. Now, Hiram, king of Tyre, sent envoys to David, along with cedar logs and carpenters and stonemasons, and they built a palace for David. Then David knew that the Lord had established him as king over Israel, and had exalted his kingdom for the sake of his people Israel. All right. Many times in many times in literature, this little paragraph here is looking far forward because Hiram didn't become king of Tyre till much later in time. Um, more than 20 years after David had been king over Israel. So this is just looking forward to something. It's like it's just saying that this, this. I don't know why they put it in here like this, but they're just jumping forward, and now they're going to jump back. And they jump back, and David says, After he left Hebron, David took more concubines and wives in Jerusalem, and more sons and daughters were born to him. These are the names of the children born to him there. Uh, these are uh, Shemua, Shobab, Nathan, Solomon, Ibhar, Elishua, Nepheg, Jophia, Elishamo, Eliada, and Ela. Elephalet. Hope I got those names right. Um, the first four names, Ibhar, Elisha, Nepheg, Japhia, were born to David by, I'm sorry, the first four were Shamua, Shobab, Nathan, and Solomon. <laughs> they were born to Bathsheba. And we're going to be introduced to her soon. The two main claimants to David's throne in later years were Absalom, his thirdborn, and Solomon, his tenthborn. Solomon would eventually outlast his rivals for the throne and rule over the United Kingdom. Now, when David had all these wives, and part of it was political things, you know, lining up with uh, other kings in the area for political alliances. His relationship with uh, Bathsheba, hmm, that's kind of questionable. But God God uses it. But David, you're going to find out that this penchant David had for having all these wives and all these sons and children um, is going to cause him issues. Now, when the Philistines, when the Philistines heard that David had been anointed king over Israel, they went up in full force to search for him. But David heard about it and went down to the stronghold. Now, the Philistines had come and spread out in the valley of Rephaim. Now, again, this happens probably, this is actually happening before he conquered Jerusalem. So it's a little bit out of sequence. But imagine the consternation of the Philistines, especially King Achish. Does that sound, you know, remember, he was the one that had, David was his uh, vassal. And he thought David was working for him. And then all of a sudden, David turns up as king. And King Achish and the Philistines realized they had been played by David. Can you imagine that they might be a little upset? 
I think so. So they heard that David had been anointed king. So they went up in full force to search for him. They are coming at him with their entire army. And you can, you can imagine how infuriated they were, how shamed Achish must have been, and how angry the other kings of Philistia felt because they had warned, they had warned Achish that David was a traitor to their cause. And now he's actually king of all Israel. And the time to get him would be right away before he could consolidate stuff and get a, a real big army and get things in order. The time to get David is now. So they're chasing after him. Um, as soon as the Philistines heard he'd been anointed, <laughs> so they became concerned. Yeah, I bet they did. Let's see what happens. David inquired of the Lord. Uh, right there. Okay. This is one. Uh, right away, this sets him apart from Saul. The Philistines are coming. They're camped out in the valley. And David goes to the Lord. Shall I go and attack the Philistines? Will you deliver them into my hands? He's inquiring of the Lord. That's his first thought. The Lord answered him, go. For I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. Now, how does the Lord answer him? Well, they had prophets. They had priests. Um, but David was a man after God's own heart. It's very possible that God dealt with him personally. I, I know that in my life, when I've asked God for direction, I've asked God for help, he's revealed himself to me in a number of different ways. And I will say things like, the, the Lord told me. Well, it wasn't like a disembodied voice that showed up and said, Paige, go do this. Paige, go do that. No, but that's how I express it. Um, when God opens up a path for me, I just say, God said this. And in fact, he did say it. Even if it wasn't with a disembodied voice, sometimes he uses circumstances. Sometimes he uses the voice and advice of, uh, of another godly person, sometimes an even an ungodly person. God can speak to us through a number of ways. So God spoke to him and said, you go. I will surely deliver the Philistines into your hands. So David went to Baal Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as the waters break out, the Lord has broken out against my enemies before me. So that place was called Baal Perazim. The Philistines abandoned their idols there, and David and his men carried them off. Now, in First Chronicles, it says when it rehashes this battle, it it's, yeah, provides a little bit more detail. First Chronicles 14.12 says that David burned those idols, which was customary. You wanted to show your superiority over your neighbor's gods, so you took their idols and you'd burn them. Once more, the Philistines came up, spread out in the valley of Rephaim. All right, they're going to, they want some more. They're going to get David. So David inquired of the Lord and he answered, don't go straight up, but circle around behind them and attack them in front of the poplar trees. As soon as you hear the sound of marching in the tops of the poplar trees, move quickly, because that will mean the Lord had gone out in front of you to strike the Philistine army. So perhaps, perhaps a second time, Philistia brought more people, maybe an even bigger army, got more, got more uh, consolidation in their kingdom, 
because back then you realize there wasn't like a single king in Philistia. There, there are all these city-states, and each one had a king that controlled a little bit of territory, and they would have to come together in an alliance of some kind. Well, perhaps that's what happened. More came along board, and this requires a different tactic from David. Go around behind them, he said, and attack them in front of the poplar trees. So David did as the Lord commanded him, and he struck down the Philistines all the way from Gibeon to Geser. Thus ends chapter 5. So David, at the beginning of his reign, has a major conflict with Philistia and establishes himself as a legitimate power in that part of the world. He is truly a king over a true nation now. This isn't just a loose confederation of 12 tribes like it had been. And this king, David, is much different than Saul. This king, David, was a true general and a true warrior. Saul was adequate as a warrior, but um, he wasn't a tactician like David was. He wasn't a, the warrior that David was. And Saul did not command the allegiance of the people like David did. I think probably the greatest thing I got out of this chapter was when Israel came to him in the beginning and said, um, you will shepherd my people Israel. You know, as the Lord said to you, you will shepherd my people Israel and you will become the ruler. David was more than just an authoritarian king. He was a leader and a leader leads. A leader, the term leadership involved, just by its very definition, involves relationship with those that you lead. They follow you because they have faith in you. They believe in you. Why do they believe in you? Because you believe in them. It's a two-way street. David establishes a covenant with Israel. He just doesn't come up and say, all right, I'm your king. Go do this. No, there's a covenant. And David's saying, you know, this is what I'm going to provide for you. And the people say, and this is what we'll provide for you. There's a relationship between David and the people of Israel. A leader leads. A leader is involved with those he leads. A ruler just sits on a chair and barks orders. That might be an oversimplification, but that's that's how kind of how I'm looking at it. I spent 16 years in the military. And in those years in the military, um, I could quick I quickly learned to discern who the leaders were and who were the dictators. The people that just sat in their chairs and barked orders, as opposed to the people who were out there with us, leading us. Uh we, gave, we obeyed those who barked orders because they were in positions of authority. But we followed those who led. They got our hearts and our minds. So there's a lot of things that we could pull from this. But David is establishing his kingdom. And uh, tomorrow, chapter 6, we see what happens next. That's a good place to stop. I'm Paige. Here's my coffee. And you know what? It's still very good. I'm out of here, folks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. So, what did you think about today's Bible devotional? Email me and let me know your thoughts at ffog at me.com.